You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. Believe it or not, I actually know of a family of dogs um, that every single morning they don't go outside to go pee, but actually one at a time, the first one goes into the bathroom and goes pee. The other dogs actually sit beside the toilet. There's four of them. Sit beside the toilet. When one dog finishes, gets in the back of the line, the next one goes, and they literally do this every single day. I know, it is pretty insane. I also know, so I know some pretty crazy animals. Um, I know uh, uh, of another animal that it's this bird, and this dude, loose morals, obviously, but he lets this bird pickpocket people's money and then flies it up. He lives in an apartment complex, lives on one of the top floors. The bird flies up and into his window and he does not have to work because he just keeps the money. I also know of another, I also know of another dog that is extremely good at volleyball. I'm talking like Airbud levels. This may reach over some of y'all's head or age, but Airbud, who knows who Airbud is? Okay, good, good, good. This dog is Airbud level of crazy, okay? So Airbud level. And I also know of another dog that taught himself how to sled when it's snowing outside. We'll pull the sled back up. We'll pull it. So some pretty crazy animals. Actually, I think we have it on video. Can y'all show that really, really quick? Nothing special, just a line to the bathroom in the morning. This dog knows how to entertain itself. And here's one of the reasons to get a pet sugar glider. And this dog can give you a paw, as well as play a game of volleyball. With a pet like this, you don't need to have a job. So, when I told you guys these when I told you guys these stories, how many of you guys believed me? How many of you guys were like, this dude is not telling you the truth at all right now? Some of you guys were like, yeah, I didn't believe you. Listen, the videos actually prove to you guys that these things exist, right? Because without them, I'm making some pretty wild, absurd claims that I know a family of dogs that every single morning goes pee and just waits for the other one to finish before they go track mud in the house and start eating stuff up, right? Or who would ever believe that this dude has taught a bird to pickpocket for him so he don't have to even go work? Pretty crazy, right? So I just made some wild claims. I just told you guys some stuff that didn't make any sense and the videos were there to prove it, right? Where we are picking up in John chapter five 
If we think about what Dean talked about last week in the middle of John chapter five, we think about what happened two weeks ago where we heard about the the lame man being healed. Well, last week, Jesus made some pretty wild, audacious claims because he said that actually the Father, God, has appointed him to judge He healed this man and he put himself on level footing with God. He said that eventually he is going to be honored the same way that God the Father is honored. We see earlier in the book that we see Jesus is talking about how he is the way, the truth, and the life. We see Jesus making these things, making these claims and stating things that to the people of this day, people who were looking for the Messiah, Literally, that is the wildest thing that you could ever say. People would be killed for making claims like that. And Jesus is making these claims, and as we pick up in John chapter five, we're gonna see how he actually backs them up. So beginning in verse 31, this is what we see. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, but you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What we have to recognize, and this is our first point for tonight, is that Jesus is God. Dean talked about this a little bit last week, and I believe it is so profound. I wanna keep talking about it. He stated that our world, the world that you and I live in, does not have a God problem because anything can be God. You can be your own God. Money can be God. Sports teams can be God. What do I mean by that? You may not say, oh, money is my God, but if you look at the way that you live your life, money determines everything the car that you have, the house that you have, the vacations that you can go on, right? It may not be that sports is my God, but if Clemson loses a football game, you have a pity party for the next six months, you say one thing one day, one thing the next day, and your life is dictated by the ups and downs of Clemson football. It may be that a boy, you are choosing to put a boy on a pedestal that God should be on. The way that this boy thinks about me, the way that this boy feels about me, the way that I think that he feels about me, the way his friends feel about me. Are we good? Are we not good? You see what I'm saying? So we live in a world that doesn't have a God problem. We live in a world that has a Jesus problem because Jesus is God and our eternity depends on if we are actually acknowledging that and believing that in our heart and in our mouth. That's what it depends on. So Jesus is God and that's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, hey, if I just said that I'm God on my own and had nothing else, it makes sense that you guys don't believe me. 
But here are some things that actually make it true, actually prove it to you that I am God. If I told you guys, hey, I can do a backflip, who would not believe me? Raise your hand if you don't believe me. Hey, uh, let's see, Angela, where you at? Have you seen me do a backflip before? You have not. Jeffrey, have you seen me do a backflip before? He has, let's see. Uh, who else is in here? Eden, have you seen me do a backflip before? You have, yes. Um, who else is in here? What did you, Caleb has seen me do a backflip. Who else has seen me do a backflip in here? Emma's seen me do a backflip. This is becoming more believable, right? No. Well, I am not gonna prove it right now, but we can prove it later, I promise you that. So here's the thing. The testimony of other people is a big deal. Jesus is saying, I've made these claims to be God, but if I just said that on my own, it's not gonna mean anything. So let's talk about the first thing. He says that there is a person who testifies, says that Jesus is the Messiah, and that person is John the Baptist. Raise your hand if you remember us talking about John the Baptist for a while. Yeah, so we talked about him in the first few weeks of this series. And John the Baptist says this in Mark chapter one. He says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Who is John the Baptist talking about in this? Who, who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus, right? Exactly. And what we see is that John the Baptist actually pointed to Jesus his entire time on earth. When he was baptizing people, when he was telling them to come into the water, to turn from sins, start this new life over, he is saying someone greater than I is coming. And the reason that Jesus brought John the Baptist into this is the religious leaders who he was telling that I am God to respected John the Baptist for a little bit. Jesus said that John the Baptist was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. And what do we need to know about a lamp? Well, we'll think about it in modern day terms, okay? So you put a light bulb in a light, right? You turn that light on, you turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. Nowadays, you wait a couple years. What happens after that light's been used up? It burns out, right? That light doesn't work anymore. And what do we see? Jesus is saying that John the Baptist and his whole earthly ministry was pointing to Jesus, to something greater than him. John the Baptist was a lamp that burned for a little while, but was not going to burn for forever. But who is that lamp who will burn for forever? Jesus, exactly. Jesus is saying that he is God, and John the Baptist actually testified that Jesus is God. What's the next person or thing that we see testifies of Jesus? It's his works, right? So what does Jesus mean? Raise your hand and I'm gonna call on you. What does Jesus mean by the works that he has done? I'm gonna look for somebody over here. In the back, yes, is that, yeah. Miracles, exactly. So some of the miracles that we've talked about. What was one that we talked about earlier this chapter? Yes, Water of the wine, we talked about that a couple of chapters ago. We talked about a lame man walking, someone who couldn't walk for 38 years and Jesus had them stand up and walk. We saw that Jesus healed this religious person's son, right? 
Jesus is saying the works that he has done, the miracles that he's worked out of insane power show that he is God, that he has control over the particles in the universe, the, the bones in our body, all of those things. Jesus is God and his miracles show that. Another thing that Jesus says shows that he is God is actually God the Father himself. And one thing is people that we are constantly looking for is good job from our dad, right? Every single one of us, whether we wanna admit it or not, desperately seeks that our father would be proud of us, desperately. I remember growing up, playing soccer, going to games, doing the things, traveling, all of that. I always wanted my dad at my games. My mom was at the probably 90% of my games, my dad was at probably 50, 40 to 50% of my games. And I remember the games that my dad was there, I always put in so much more effort. I always played so much harder. Why? Because at the end of the game, the greatest gratification that I could get was him saying that I'm proud of you. You did a great job. And regardless, my dad was gonna be proud of me either way. But I think a lot of us, we live for that. We crave that. And one example of how God the Father actually testifies to Jesus is at Jesus' baptism. We don't see this fully in the book of John, but in the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that when Jesus was baptized, he comes out of the water, and there's this beautiful picture. What happens? The skies literally open up, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And this voice from heaven of God the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So not only does Jesus get the affirmation that he is God from his dad, but he also gets the I'm proud from his dad. So Jesus is saying, John the Baptist, miracles, and God the Father. And the last thing that he says is the scriptures actually testify, tell everyone that Jesus is God. If you look back at the Old Testament, a very conservative, lowball estimate of how many prophecies there are that Jesus fulfilled, saying that he was gonna be the Messiah, ruler of the universe, et cetera, all of that, right? A lowball estimate would be 300 times the Old Testament in some way, shape, or form tells that Jesus is gonna be the Messiah. There's many more prophecies that we will see fulfilled in the book of John, but a couple that we see up until this point in Jesus's life, um, just from all the gospels together, are first, that he was born in Bethlehem. He was born in a manger, right? We're about to come up on Christmas time. We're gonna start to sing Christmas carols, right? He was born in Bethlehem. Another thing that we see is that actually he's from the tribe of Judah. In the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, we see Jesus's genealogy. Do you guys know what the genealogies are? They're all those names, right? Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot David and David begot Solomon and this person, this person, this person, right? That's what those are. That's a genealogy. That would be like Timothy begot Gabe, who begot Israel. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? The family tree. So we see in Jesus's family tree, it traces all the way back to the tribe of Judah. And Jesus fulfills a prophecy there. 
And there's over 300 of these that Jesus fulfills in the Bible. So Jesus is telling these religious leaders, hey, you're mad at me because I healed somebody on the Sabbath. Well, guess what? You're already missing it because I am God. I claim I am God. And this is how. Because John the Baptist has testified about it. Because the works that I've done have testified about it, the miracles. Because God the Father and because the Bible itself. Let's keep moving forward. In verse 39, it says this. It says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is what I want you guys to realize, that it's more than just the right answers. What do I mean by that? Well, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, literally knew, not even like the back of their hand, like the front of their hand, that they actually look at the Old Testament. They knew it like crazy. They knew the middle verse and the middle chapter of the middle book and they could recite it from memory. Some of these people could recite the entire Old Testament from memory, the entire thing, hundreds and hundreds of pages. For them, feet and feet of scroll, they could recite the entire thing. And Jesus is saying, you know all this about the Old Testament, You know that there was a Messiah that was coming. You knew that the scriptures prophesied that the Messiah was coming. I am standing right here and you're still missing it. I think the Pharisees had it a lot like what we're about to see in this video. Hey, hey you, yeah you. Do you know what kind of train this is? Huh? Train, do you know what kind of train this is? Well do ya? Uh, of course. It's a magic train. We're going to the North Pole. Yeah, I know it's a magic train. Actually, it's a Baldwin 284 S3 class Berkshire type steam locomotive. Built in 1931 as the Baldwin Locomotive Works. It weighs 456,100 pounds and has a track. So, Polar Express, Christmas is coming up, right? And I want to let you guys know I discovered this today, but. The Polar Express characters, excluding Billy, have, don't have names. It's actually a very underdeveloped story. I kind of have some issues with Polar Express now. Anyways, very underdeveloped. But this dude is know-it-all, um, annoying kid. What's his, what's his name? Yeah, know-it-all. Know-it-all is his character name. So know-it-all knows it all, right? And we see that by the end of the movie, Know-it-all is actually rebuked by Santa to get the first present because we see that he was like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And Santa comes over to him and Santa's like, well, a little patience and some humility would serve you well. And what do we see? We see that in this story, it's not necessarily about the presents. It's not about the gifts. It's about the train ride and the community, the relationships that are built on it and on the way back. And know-it-all didn't get that. Know-it-all knew all the details of the trip. He knew they were going to the North Pole. He knew where the emergency brake for the the train was. He knew when the conductor came in and asked who pulled the the emergency brake that it wasn't him. He knew all those things, yet he missed the entire point of the trip. 
And the Pharisees, they knew the scriptures back and forth. They knew exactly what Lamentations uh, 2, 17 said. They knew exactly what Ezekiel 1, 3 said. They knew all that stuff. Yet they missed Jesus, the thing that it was talking about. And that's why Jesus is getting on to them. He's saying, you know all the right answers, but the Messiah is standing in front of you. And because he doesn't look like what you want him to, you're gonna choose to not acknowledge it. And that's why Jesus is getting on to him. And what I think we need to realize in that is it's more than just reading your Bible. It's more than just going to church. It's coming to a person, the person of Jesus. Salvation is not built on how much of the Bible that you know. And I think this is something that's gonna sound a little scary for some of you guys, but I hope that it's freeing. We see that Jesus came to bring us a new heart. Jesus didn't come to just bring us knowledge. He came to change our heart and change our eternity. And salvation isn't built on how much of the Bible you know. It's built on the person who died for you. And I think so much of my life, I've been addicted to consuming knowledge and forgotten about the person of Jesus. And you have to recognize that as we follow Jesus, as we take time to sit in his presence, Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. As we take time to be still, the more that you fall in love with Jesus, the more that you're gonna fall in love with the scriptures. And the more that you fall in love with the scriptures and you still be still and know that he's God, this knowledge of who God is and this knowledge of how depraved and messed up I am is gonna bring you to repentance and surrender and to deeper love of who Jesus is. And the reasons the Pharisees missed it is they forgot that it's not just the mind, it's the heart. We're supposed to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. The two work together. Don't cut them apart. Does that make sense? So it's more than just knowing the right answers. It's actually knowing the person of Jesus. Let's keep reading. In 41, Jesus says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you did not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I said? Point number three is this, who are you living for? Going back to what I talked about in the, in the first point and what Dean talked about a little bit last week is we live in a world that doesn't have a God problem, that has a Jesus problem. And like what I talked about, so many times we find ourselves, the world finds their self with their life and their decisions and their actions being determined by something other than God, by money, by fame by pleasure, by sports, whatever you name it. 
If you spend 20 hours a day playing video games, you probably should change your habits. So recognize that whether we choose to admit it or not, you are putting the title of God on something. And I hope that it's Jesus. I hope that it's the one true God. And the verse that I wanna hone in in this little section is this, verse 44. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Like what we talked about, these Pharisees knew it all, but they missed the entire thing of Jesus. And why? Well, we see that Jesus rebukes the religious leaders so many times. He tells them so many times, you pray on the street corners. You make these loud prayers so that everybody can see. You're talking about, Lord, I'm so grateful that I'm not like that poor person over there, that person who's sinned and who's messed up. I'm so thankful that I'm better than them. Lord, thank you for that. You are so gracious. And what Jesus is saying is you can't get out of your own way. You're so busy living for the approval of other people that you're missing living for the approval of God. You see, because delight in the praise of man makes it impossible to delight in the praise of God. If you are so worried about all the accolades that you can get from sports or so worried about how popular you can get by winning this student council election, how in the world are you gonna be worried about how you can love this other person like Jesus did or how you can wash the feet of your classmates in the way that you serve them and care about them because that's what Jesus came to do. First Peter 5, it says this. Well, let me, let me get to it, let me get to it. It says this, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How many of you guys aren't humbling yourself under God's mighty hand? How many of you guys are so freaking big to yourself that you can't get out of your own way? Because bigger than you, bigger than the thing that you're striving for, bigger than the thing that you think that you can accomplish, whether you accomplish it or not, is God. More rich than the richest person in the world is God. So recognize this, that if you're living for the praise of your classmates, the praise of whoever you're dating, even if you're living with an unhealthy, I want my parents to praise me, it's gonna be really, really, really hard to live for the praise of God. It's gonna be really, really hard to delight in God. Why? Because you're so worried about pleasing everybody else. Ellie and I watched this movie a few weeks ago called Jesus Revolution. Um, and in the movie, basically, it's, it's based in the 1970s. It's based on a true story. Um, and this dude, Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith are kind of the two main characters. There's a couple of other main characters, but these are the two we're gonna focus on tonight. And in the midst of the 1970s, that's when all the hippie stuff was happening, right? So you see all the people with the long hair and there's all the music happening and people are doing crazy psychedelic drugs and tripping out and there's like the free love movement and this and that and the other, right? And in the midst of all that, this guy Chuck Smith is, has a church and his church is super straight and narrow. 
Like you cannot walk in there normal. You gotta like scrunch your butt and you gotta like walk in there like that. And then you gotta sit down and you better not make a sound because if you do, you're a heathen, right? So super straight and narrow. And Lonnie Frisbee is this guy who looks like a hippie. He kind of like looks like what we think Jesus would look like, right? But he's got like long hair, he's got a long beard or whatnot. And he shows up at Chuck Smith's house because he meets Chuck Smith's daughter and starts talking to her about Jesus. And through prayer, through being encouraged by his daughter and his wife, Chuck Smith eventually opens up his church for Lonnie to start inviting his friends that don't look like the regular people in the church. They're not wearing suits. They actually, a lot of them come in without shoes, maybe without, like the dudes come in, they ain't got a shirt on or they got a tank top on. They're coming from the beach or whatever hippie festival that they were just at and they start preaching the gospel to them. And eventually his church explodes. It grows and it grows and it grows. Why? Because they're showing radical love to people who weren't normally welcome into God's family from the people who were running the churches. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, every single person has a seat at the table. And the reason that they don't think that is not because of God, it's because of us. Well, what happens? It blows up. Chuck is letting Lonnie, the hippie guy, preach and preach and preach. It's going off. And eventually, Lonnie gets too big for his britches. Lonnie starts making decisions not based on Jesus being the hero of the story, but Lonnie being the hero of the story. Lonnie is doing things that he did before because he thought that it, it, you know, it made him look good. And eventually, Chuck, Lonnie, have to have this discussion, and Chuck says, I don't want you to do this anymore. This is a really good thing, and I don't wanna ruin it because you won't get out of your own way because God is bigger than you, and this movement is bigger than you. And I think oftentimes we can take something that's good, it may be sports, it may be video games, it may be this or that or the other, it may be working hard and earning money, and we let it become our God instead of God being our God. And so my challenge to you is to recognize that as people, every single one of us as Christians, as believers, have to recognize Jesus is God and Jesus is Lord. So that means that our decisions, our actions have to change because we are living under a new master. That master is no longer me, it's Jesus. We also have to recognize that there's gonna be things in our lives that we have to change. There's gonna be habits in our life that we have to change. But know that in the midst of all that, Jesus loves us Jesus treats us with grace and mercy. Lamentations 3 says that his mercies are new every single morning. And the last thing that we need to recognize is to wait, the way to come to Jesus is to know that you're a sinner. And I think this thought is really, really big and it's really important to grasp onto. Jesus didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And the way to recognize that we need Jesus is to recognize that we're sick. Is to recognize that we're desperate on our own. Every single one of us is desperate. Every single one of us is in need of the great physician whose name is Jesus. We learned last week um, 
in, in the video with Ray Comfort that he was talking to this person. He asked him, are, they, are you a good person? He was like, yeah, I, I make pretty good decisions. He's like, okay, well, let's judge you by the 10 commandments, right? And he asked him, and he asked him if he ever lied before. Has he ever stolen anything, even a really little thing? Has he ever looked lustfully before? Has he ever done this or that and the other? In every single answer, he said, yes, I have. And so Ray eventually told him, well, that means that you're a lying, adultering, fornicating, this and that and the other, and you're self-righteous in your own eyes, which is a penalty punishable by death. So obviously you are not a good person. Every single one of us is not a good person. But there's hope, and that hope is Jesus, who while we were dead in sin died for us, gave his life for us, rose again three days later. And because of what he's done, we can now have right standing with God. So my challenge for you tonight, get out of your own way. Recognize that Jesus is Lord. Recognize that you are a sinner. And let's start to figure out what things in our lives are getting in the way of actually following Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at the renovation.church.